morning. <clears throat> um, as we get started today, we are going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount after taking a week off for Easter. And um, I would like for us to pray together uh, before we start, as we will be uh, talking through some things that I think will hit home for all of us and have definitely um, hammered me over the last week. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, what we do now, what we have done before, um, can be easily done in hypocrisy. We can come here, we can sing, we can read your word. We can hear the word preached and miss the object of our worship. So God, this day we ask with all of our hearts that Father, you would meet us here. That you would remain forefront in our heart and our mind as we read your word. Would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you commune with us? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Writer Harold Buto tells a story of a priest who, while uh, returning back to his rectory in the evening at dark, was met and accosted by a robber who pointed a gun at him and said, all your money or your life. And as the priest reached into his coat pocket, the robber saw the clerical collar around his neck. And the robber said, I see you're a priest. Never mind, you can go. The priest, surprised by his unexpected show of piety from the robber, wasn't quite sure what to do, so he re- his hands were in his pockets and he felt a candy bar that was there. And so he offered it to him. And the robber replied, no thank you, Father. I don't eat candy during Lent. <laughs> See, we laugh at the hypocrisy of that, don't we? I did as soon as I read it. But I wonder how much the story of your life and my life are being played out with the same ridiculous hypocrisy. Have you ever thought about what it really means to be a hypocrite? Just a simple layman's definition. A hypocrite is a person who puts on false appearances of virtue or religion, one who acts in contradiction to his or her own stated belief. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? We don't like being called a hypocrite. 
it cuts us, it hurts. Have you ever looked into the mirror and had that sinking sensation in your heart as it condemns you and, as, and says, you know, if anybody knew where your heart is right now, you would be done, exposed. Have you ever had that feeling? You see, all of us have played the hypocrite to some extent. And most of us today are playing a hypocrite to some extent. You see, we want to be a saint, but at the same time we want to feel every carnal pleasure that a sinner does. You see, we want to serve the poor and have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by long stretches of solitude. But we also don't want to miss out on anything. We want to pray. But we also want to watch TV or read or hang out with friends or play the we. We are hypocrites. Most of us live tired and pathologically overstretched lives. Me included. In, in the midst of all that, we try desperately to persuade ourselves and others around us and even God that we're doing okay. That we're in good spiritual shape. But deep down, when we look into the mirror, when we read God's word, we realize that often our soul is withering and we are in need, desperate need, of an abiding faith that doesn't miss the fact that the chief end, the ultimate end of the gospel is that we would be redeemed and reconciled to our heavenly Father so that we might glorify Him and enjoy him forever. Today, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. And as we walk through Matthew 5, uh, the focus of Jesus' teaching was mostly upon character and heart and looking at the disciples' heart and making them examine that. But in chapter 6, it turns a little bit. And the focus is vertical toward God. How do we live out this life in relation to our Heavenly Father? And last week, um, or two weeks ago, Larry taught on the first four verses of chapter 6. I'm going to read through them just to catch us up and so we can look at this as a whole. But just... Remind yourself of where we've been and then we'll, we'll pick up in, in verse 5. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, Jesus says. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then we're going to come back next week to the Lord's Prayer, but skip down to verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy face of the hypocrites as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When, whenever, Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, Jesus is not teaching on whether the church should give to the poor or pray or fast. His assumption is that if you call yourself a disciple, that you will do those things, that you will be engaged in those. His concern here is that you would be a disciple marked with generosity and prayer and fasting. And he really wants you to understand how those are to be done in your life. These are spiritual practices. They're acts of worship. They're exercises of our soul, but they're not to be used as rules, as Larry taught us two weeks ago so aptly, but tools We have to understand that. And this is why Jesus says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed. This is where most of you and I's hypocrisy creeps into our lives. Who hasn't tasted of a delicious apple of praise? Admiration from a fellow man for your discipline or your zeal, or your good works. Few things feel more gratifying to the sinful heart than to be made much of. And especially as it relates to things that are seen as religious or godly. We have all played the hypocrite. You and I, We have all aired our spiritual disciplines to be seen or acknowledged by men. And we'd be lying if we said any different. We are hypocrites. Yes, I called you a hypocrite. The church is full of them. You're in good company. Me included. We are hypocrites. 
So Jesus cautions us not to pray as the hypocrites do in verse 5. And he points out to us that hypocrites love to find the prime location to pray. The synagogue, the street corner. Why? So that they will be seen by men, so they will be noticed. When was the last time you prayed in a certain spot knowing the chances were good that someone would see you and you would get a good pat on the back? Or someone would hear you pray in small group and go, Oh, he's so godly. Or she's so humble. Man, I wish I could pray like that. Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer. So you're not off the the chain. You still need to get into corporate prayer. But what he is telling us is that it is wrong. It's not wrong to be seen praying. But it is wrong to pray in order to be seen. And in verse 7, he says, Do not, once again, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles and the pagans, they pray empty words without faith. They pray, pray token mantras over and over and over again, expecting that that will somehow manipulate God and they will be heard. Jesus is not, once again, prohibiting lengthy prayers. It's not wrong to pray lengthy prayers. But it is wrong to try to manipulate God with meaningless repetition in words that really have no faith and no power behind them. So here's a little test. Four questions. You ready? This is going to help us get what Jesus is teaching right into your life and mine. First question. Do I pray more frequently and more passionately when I'm alone with God or when I'm with others? So if you haven't really prayed any time alone, but you pray at small group, a bit hypocritical. Do I love, number two, question number two. Do I love the secret place of prayer? Do you love that? Is my public praying simply an overflow of my private praying? And lastly, do I pray simply? Do I pray worshipfully throughout the day at dinner before I go to bed? Have I cut out meaningless repetition of things like God is great and now I lay me down to sleep. I cut those things out of my life. If you've answered any of these just short of kind of a a vibrant affirmation, then you probably have some hypocrisy in the way that you pray. Once again, you're in great company. Most of us do. All of us do to some extent. Jesus warns us of these two types of prayers. And he says, if you pray this way, if you pray for, to be seen by men or to manipulate God with empty, faithless words, then that is exactly what you will get. 
That will be your reward. You will be seen and you will be heard. But the Lord will not answer. We have our reward in full if that is what we're searching for, if that is where our heart is. And so today I want to ask you, is there ways that hypocrisy is creeping in to the way that you pray, to your relationship with God? Have you evaluated? Have you looked in the mirror? I wonder if this might be one of the prime reasons that the church does not see more answered prayers. You see, we've left God out of the equation when we pray like that. We've practiced the discipline of prayer without the supreme object of prayer. Prayer is not to be seen by others or to get something. It is to commune with someone, and that is the Father. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss that today. Verse 6 tells us, but you, disciples, those followers of Christ, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father. Don't pray to the people around you. Don't pray to other things. Pray to your Father. Jesus says, get away. Take off the distractions and the temptation. Unplug from the world and wait upon the Father in solitude. Jesus' promise is that if you do that, if you unplug from your iPod and you turn off your MacBook and you throw your Blackberry in the drawer and you go to a place that is quiet, you will not be disturbed the father who is in secret and sees what is done he will reward you I can't stress this enough to you over the last two weeks um, I have fought and battled and lost a lot and probably have been darker spiritually and fought more spiritual warfare than I have in a decade. Coming to a place of utter just emptiness done, finished, want to curl up and cry. And so Thursday night, unplugged from all gadgets and worldly things, God met me in a secret place. And these are the things that I wrote in my journal from that time. 
I realize now in more deeper ways that the first point of prayer is not to be seen as holy by others, but to be seen by the only one who is holy. God has reminded me that the point of prayer is not to be heard and to manipulate God, but to listen and be manipulated by him. I believe with my whole heart that the reward of God in the secret place is God himself. Your father revealing himself to you and lavishing extravagantly his love and grace in mercy upon your hypocritical heart. Psalm 73, 25 through 26. I can't say it any better than, than the psalmist. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from thee will perish. Thou hast destroyed all those who are unfaithful to thee. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works those that are far off from God if you do not commune with God if you do not seek him out in those quiet places will perish but even though our heart and our strength may fail God is our portion forever he promises to be he is faithful And he will meet you there. And not only are we to pray correctly, but Jesus says in verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy face as the hypocrites do, or they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Once again, Jesus is not making a case for the legitimacy of fasting. He assumes that his disciples will fast. And the, the biblical idea that mostly relates to fasting is the voluntary abstaining from food for spiritual purposes, to humble yourself before God and to seek him earnestly. David said in Psalm thirty-five, thirteen, I humbled my soul with fasting. Fasting helps us live out the fact that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Fasting done biblically awakens humility and a hunger for God. However, as one sweet brother expressed in our staff meeting on Monday... Evangelical Christians suck at fasting. And I would have to agree. I would have to agree. 
We are terrible. And most of us don't have to deal with the the ideas and the warnings that Jesus gives us here because we're not gloomy-faced. And we're not neglecting our appearance, at least not because of fasting. Most of us don't fast. Therefore, we don't see the caution as applying to us. And we don't... Well, let me just put it this way. It's an expectation of God. It's an expectation of Christ that his disciples would fast. That they would be more worried about feasting on God than they would be on feasting and becoming gluttons of food. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But let's just leave it at that. Jesus' point here is warning us against taking what is intended to be a spiritual self-discipline and prostituting it in an occasion for pompous self-righteousness. So that can be applied to any of the spiritual disciplines. This just happened to be one that he pointed out at this time. What was supposed to be a sign of repentance and humility and hunger for God had become a sign of self-righteous piety on display. And Jesus says that's the epitome of hypocrisy. D.A. Carson writes, almost anything that is supposed to serve as an outward sign of an inward attitude can be cheapened by this hypocritical piety. No voluntary act of spiritual discipline is ever to become an occasion for self-promotion. Once again, the mirror comes in front of our face. Once again, we have to ask, why do we do what we do? Do you come to church because it's the good Southern Baptist thing to do on Sunday? Or do you come to commune with the saints and exalt Christ? Whose opinion matters most in your worship? The people in your small group? The people in your family? Or our Father in heaven? The thrust of this whole passage is humbling. And Jesus insists that our righteousness must never be confused with even a hint of play acting. So the question is raised by Jesus in the most practical form. Who is the object of your giving, of your prayer, and of your fasting? And Jesus is calling us to a radically God-oriented living, marked by God-honoring, God-engaging, worshipful acts of giving, prayer, and fasting. And if those aren't in our lives, if they're not being lived out in the right ways with the focus toward the worship of God and His glory, then we are hypocritical. So, For the sake of your soul and mine in the worship of Jesus here at North Wake, 
Let me write, read to you some affirmations that I made this week and see if they fit you in, in some way, shape, or form. When you give, Jeff, when you give to the poor, will it be for the fame and glory of the Father? Will you seek Him who is the reward of heaven rather than the praise of man? When you pray, will it be in secret with your Father? Jeff, would it be simple and meaningful only for the ears of your Father rather than the praise of man? And lastly, Jeff, when you fast, would you please comb your hair and wash your face? And let the Father who sees in secret observe how hungry you are for him and not the attention of others. Could we affirm those things together today? Could we take Jesus' teaching and actually force it into our lives in a real and meaningful way? You see, if we will, Jesus tells us that the Father who sees in secret is brimming with reward. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So for all of us, those hypocrites, and I'm sure you've heard the church, church is full of them. Now you can just say you're exactly right when you, when you leave here. But for all of us, we don't have to live that way anymore. As the worship team comes and we prepare for a time of response, I want to read you something out of Galatians 2. And I want to ask you, just to think about the cross of Christ and its effect on you and the way that you live in relation to Christ. Galatians two seventeen and following. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died unnecessarily. So would you join me today in a solemn act of repentance? Would you lay the pieces of your hypocritical life at the foot of the cross? And would you gather with us around the cross once again as we learn what it means to be stripped of all our pride, all our self-righteousness, even the good gifts God gives us that we worship so much? 
so that our hearts can be laid bare before the face of God once again. Before the face of the Father who knows what you need before you ask. Today, for the first time or the hundredth time, would you turn from that? And would you lay your life before God once again? Beating your chest and saying, oh, what a sinner am I. What an amazing Savior. Lay it all down. Commune with the Father, and He will reward you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we respond to your word, would you move on us? Would you crush our pride and our self-righteousness and would you please show us our sin but at the same time your mercy and your grace we love you and we don't want to live like the hypocrites and pagans anymore And you have provided a way for us. Your death on the cross paid our penalty. And reconciled us to the Father. And may our lives be a living and active worship to that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.